Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking with Performance Manager at the Seattle Sounders, Dave Tenney. Thanks for tuning in to episode 101 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. So I've got another part two coming up today in Dave Tenney. So it was great to get Dave on for a a part two. It's been almost two years since he did his part one, which went down really well. So it was great to get him on for a second part uh, and just discuss uh, what's basically what's changed over the last couple of years. He's big on his technology uh, at the Sounders, um, so it was great to discuss what he's using and why and how it's influencing his program. Uh, another really interesting uh, discussion we had was around Raymond Verheyen and the influences that Dave's had uh, from European football or European soccer. So I really, uh, something that I've, I've not really discussed with, with anyone before and that's basically because of Dave's unique experiences over in Europe uh, and, and his, his time as an actual uh, technical coach, which is which is really, really interesting. So just before we get into the chat with Dave, I've uh, just got two-minute sports science minute with the guys from Coach Me Plus. So today, a uh, little thought-provoking two minutes, uh, just discussing variation in an SNC program. So hope you enjoy the chat with Dave uh, and the Sports Science Minute from Coach Me Plus. Um, I'm sure you'll enjoy both, uh, and I will speak to you soon. In this Sports Science Minute, I just want to have a quick discussion on variation. One of Variation is one of the pillars to strength training, uh, along with specificity and overload. Uh, all three, um, of course, uh, are integral in the adaptation and the development of the athlete. Um, Something that I've seen um, is just unplanned variation or variation for variation's sake. Um, And I just wanted to touch on that uh, quickly in the sports science minute here um, because when you're doing any type of programming, it's always good to try and think through uh, your variation. Uh, We can go back to Hansele and the said principles uh, spe- specific adaptation to impose demand. And a lot of times if we're doing too much variation uh, within the microcycle or even the mesocycle, um, we don't give the athlete the opportunity to adapt to that stimulus or that variation. So for example, if uh, one block I'm doing front squats um, and then the next mesocycle or block I do uh, a, back, a back squat, um, that gives uh, my body enough time uh, my athletes enough time to adapt to the front squat stimulus before I go to the back squat stimulus. Um, but if I was going front squat, you know, one week and then back squat the next week, um, our bo- the athlete's body isn't getting enough opportunity to adapt to that stimulus or that variation. And, um, that could, um, accumulate greater fatigue, um, or, um, not have, let the athlete have the ability to, um, get enough recovery. Uh, so just a, a, a thought-provoking um, idea that um, I hope uh, you guys can uh, work with. Okay, thanks for tuning in to the Pacey Performance Podcast. So for a part two this evening, we have a performance manager at the Seattle Sounders in Dave Tenney. So welcome to the podcast again, Dave. Thanks for having me on, Rob. It's a pleasure. Good to have you again, mate. So... Uh, anyone that hasn't listened to part one uh, and doesn't know who you are, I just want to give us a little bit of a background on uh, on who you are and what you're doing. Um, sure. Yeah. Um, so I'm in currently my eighth year um, performance manager at Seattle Sounders. My eighth year here, I've been a performance manager now for just finishing up my second year um, and, and seeing kind of our staff evolve um, from myself as head fitness coach and 2009 until until today um prior to that i was in kansas city for two years in mls as a head fitness coach and goalkeeper coach at the same time as well um and then prior to that i was in uh george mason university and with the washington freedom women's uh, professional club um back in the early to mid 2000s 
Nice. So you've got a bit of a, I think it's a unique background in the fact that you've gone through your coaching badges and then um, taken the performance route. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I um, yeah. So I played a very um, uh, what's this? The, how would I describe it? Not not the uh, the greatest professional career, um, semi-professional, professional, uh, lower leagues of Germany, indoor professional soccer in the U.S., um, and and kind of knew that was not going to be a living, uh, but really enjoyed coaching. Started doing my coaching badges early on um, and, and really wanted to focus on some of the European badges as much as possible. So took a course in Holland in 2001, took the uh, Czech FA's version of the UEFA license in 2004. Um, and then I you know, took some of the U.S. courses side by side and really thought that I would be more just your your uh, you know, traditional soccer coach um, while studying exercise science and sports science in the university. But uh, the course in the Czech Republic was really, really unique um, through Charles University at the time and really uh, based on some um, really interesting physiological models and adaptation of training and building training weeks through football specific as well as as uh, strength training type um uh, models and um just to be able to do that and, and really saw that as kind of a missing piece and kind of football soccer training at the time and uh and and really started to specialize in that and then um decided to uh you know, to kind of to take that on as a as a specialty rather than just being a, a football coach so so we when we spoke i couldn't believe it that it was well, well over 18 months ago now um, for the first episode. And I just, my first um, question was going to be to you, what's changed over the last 18 months? Um, we had a chat beforehand, but it just be really interesting to to kind of get that out on the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I mean, 18 months ago, I was kind of just beginning this um, role within the club as performance manager. Um, and now I think two years in, we've really seen that evolution um, and, and really, uh, it's not just, I think, the, the most intriguing thing is not just the changing of my role within the club as performance manager. And we now have a staff of, of seven people within our department, but it's really um, the defining of all the other roles in the department. And we have Chad Kalarsik as a head strength conditioning coach and Ravi Ramanani is a uh, data analyst. And uh, currently we have Sean Muldoon as a, as a assistant strength coach and um, and full-time sports scientist. And, and to really, you know, I, I think the performance manager role to me is really about building out the relationships within your club and really optimizing all the work that's done and whether that's on the field, whether that's in the weight room, whether that's the relationship between the performance staff and the medical staff. And I think it's it's trying to encourage and, and upgrade all of those relationships um, and, and, and improve the decision-making process. Um, so I think two years on, I really think we've seen a huge improvement and in, in, in increase in the quality of all those relationships. And I think the work that we're doing, um, a lot of it because as performance manager, I'm freed up to focus on um, my relationship of the players and uh, the head coach and, and the GM um, and, and then to really trust and, and manage the the guys that are in the weight room and dealing with the data that that they're pushing the envelope in their own environments and you know and trying to do a lot of cool stuff so yeah i mean when i came over last year um and it may have happened this year as well the i think it was the gm who who opened the um the sports science weekend was it right 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 yeah um and actually you know um he did not do that this year but um okay. i mean the interesting thing this year is that um to represent the uh Sounders at our event, I actually had Chad Klarsik do our presentation on, on what we're doing, which was uh, um, you know, an interesting experience a lot of ways because you have someone that's worked for you that used to be an intern uh, for you kind of uh, opening up the uh, the window and letting everyone see his interpretation of how your your uh, department is operating. Um, and, and it's... Uh, it was a great experience. It was kind of, you know, scary in some ways, I guess, because he's, uh, you know, you're trusting him and he didn't, he did a fantastic job. Um, but it, that was a, a unique experience for me to have someone else kind of represent us at our, at our own, uh, event. How many times did he say mate, Dave? 
Too many. Too many. <laughs> if he said it one time, it was one time too many, and I guarantee he said it more than one time. So. Good. But, I mean, what I was going to say about the GM was, obviously, the previous year, it was it was him that kind of had a had a chat about how how he sees you guys you guys fitting in and i think it, it comes back to the the point that you made about building these relationships and i think that you may you may say i'm wrong but that seems quite a unique situation where you're sitting down with the gm regularly to talk about whatever you talk about to, to build these relationships with the, the head coach and gm how are you i mean again not a slight like i said before not a slight on on that but it's easy to say that that you're building these relationships but how are you going about doing it I think there's a couple things. I think one, it's about um, creating the dialogue through, let's say, the, our training report is a good example. I mean, every, every day we send out our training report, and our training report has roughly 26 recipients, recipients to it. And obviously the GM, the GM, the owner, the entire coaching staff, the entire medical staff, the reserve team staff, uh, the reserve team medical staff. And I think it's it's really important for the entire technical staff management of a club to know this is what our guys did in training today. Um, and, and I think that that begins a, uh, a, a discussion, uh, you know, kind of an entryway into a discussion that then the GM may call me in and say, Oh, why did this guy work this hard today? Why, why do you think, um, is this guy a risk? Did this guy work too hard? Uh, and it, and also then gives the GM who ultimately is is um, there to to pick players and to sign players for our team to know what qualities are we looking for, what qualities are more resilient, what qualities are successful in this league. And, and it begins to have him buy into a lot of the information that we're, we're able to provide. Um, so. So I think it, it, that's that's one is is sharing data information um, throughout the club. Um, and I think too, it's it's really trying to find the same language. And I think one of the biggest issues I see through through uh, world football, I guess, is you do have your your analytics people, and you have your sports science people, and you have your coaching staffs, and you have your your technical directors and people getting uh, actually going and acquiring players. And and every silo there seems to have their own language their their own way of describing things um and 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 i think sometimes and again with the relationships that those silos don't always operate uh with each other cooperatively i think as well as they can um so one of the goals is what we try to do is you know our goal of my department is can we kind of be the glue between all the different silos and uh create a common language uh share information and have this kind of ongoing discussion of what we think works within our league and within our within our club mm -hmm. with that in mind do they all get the same training report so everyone yep. sees exactly the same thing okay yeah yeah and, and again it's one of my roles is you know, obviously we, we produce a fairly expansive training report daily and it's part of my role to wait in and really see okay what's what's important from what happened in training what type of picture do we need to paint of was was the intensity and volume and load of training appropriate today? Were there certain players that overworked? Were there certain players that underworked? Um, did the coaching staff pick appropriate exercises? Uh, uh, was the was was the training session planned appropriately and then run accordingly um, appropriately? Um, those are all those are two different. I think very distinct questions um and it just kind of helps to have that whole discussion so has it for you to be able to jump between all them different silos has it helped you being a football coach first i think so yeah i think that it's uh i think at the end of the day i think we have to be really honest and i think there's there's strength conditioning staffs that are tremendous throughout Europe, throughout the world. There are sport science people that are tremendous throughout the world. Uh, ultimately, it comes to their relationship with the coaching staff and what the coaching staff chooses to do with the players on the field every day that can accentuate whatever work the other staffs are doing or, or can 
kind of just pull it apart and make it irrelevant. Um, there's plenty of examples of uh, sports science people that give fantastic information. The coaches go out and run the team into the ground. Um, <laughs> and, and, and that really shouldn't happen. But the sad thing is that that does happen again. And part of it, I do think is a, is a language issue as well as using, using the same language. So one thing we, we chatted about before, and it's kind of hitting on the, the European influence that, that you've obviously been uh, exposed to, and that was um, our friend uh, over in England, Ray, Raymond Verheyen, who's um, got his own talk show and all the rest of it by the sounds of it uh, these days. So it was just like, I just want to explain to people the kind of chat we'd had before. And from my personal point of view, um, He's obviously been involved in, in, in the Welsh national team and, and got a bit of publicity. And now he's seems to have become this kind of media, um, kind of celebrity going on, on, like I say, on radio, on Twitter and, and causing a bit of a stir. And it's actually difficult for, for me personally to actually decipher what he actually, what's actually philosophy rather than just put chucking grenades in there, especially when it comes to the likes of Arsenal. But for someone that's, been around him and and um and had them kind of influences it's just interesting to get your take on what what his philosophies are and and how you've been exposed to people like him in in europe and what you've learned so so yeah yeah i'm I'm, i know raymond quite well i took his um first part of his course in 2001 of the knvb um tactics course in holland um and and you know what I'd like to say about Raymond first is I think at the end of the day, I do feel like he is good for our industry. I mean, I think that he makes us question what we do. He makes us question our philosophy. Um, he, I think he asks some, some difficult questions. Um, and, and ultimately I think one of the questions he poses is, is okay. These, these injury profiles of teams and clubs, is it, is it manager related? Is it a fitness problem? Is it a player problem? Like where, where are the issues? Um, and I know that Raymond maintains that oftentimes a manager or, or a football coach um, carries that injury profile around with him from, from team to team, which means in his philosophy that, that it is a, a pitch training related issue, maybe more than a, a weight room or strength training issue um, in his philosophy. So, so I think that's the first consideration we need to look at. And, you know, and, and, you know, I want to, I think it's important to delve into kind of that, that area of where does physical performance uh, interact with football and football performance. Uh, and I think that's, that's interesting, I think, to me. And, and where and how does the work that happens on the pitch interact with the work that happens in the weight room and, and in these environments where there, there are injuries, um, where you know where can you find the you know the reasoning behind that? So so I kind of sat down and thought about that, and I and I I ultimately I mean I, I do truly believe there's probably about four buckets that you can you can put practitioners in when you look at kind of where physical performance interacts with football performance, and you know and I think you know most of the people that listen to your podcast here there's a um, a strong kind of sports science related bucket, you know, and, and to me that means that. Um, through sports science that we're really trying to take a really close look at what are the physical and physiological demands of, uh, of the game? Um, what are the physiological and physical demands of training sessions, training exercises? Um, and, and how can we kind of optimize uh, a training process, a recovery process based around this evidence collected through research and through sports science and then we try to inform, I think, in our in each our individual way, um, inform a coaching staff um, onto the you know the the demands and load placed on our athletes, and hopefully come to some sort of agreement on how we should train. Um, and so I think that's that's kind of one model, you know. And then I think you have the the other two models. I think Ray, uh, Raymond Verheyen, the Verheyen model, as well as a, a you know, now it's you're hearing this more this tactical periodization from uh, Spain and Portugal. Um, that they're both, I think, more football coach dominant um, methodologies. 
which means that it's uh, it's centered mainly around what's happening on the pitch, really centered around uh, the load on the pitch. Um, the Verhein model in particular, I know, is, is basically taking the viewpoint of we will address uh, football fitness one day a week, um, and, and we might go on a six-week cycle or an eight-week cycle and, and, and address um, different football qualities and different football ball actions based on the numbers and the size of the field and we might go two weeks at a 4v4 and then the following two weeks at a 7v7 or 8v8 and the following two weeks at a 9v9 or 11v11 um, and and we will um, progressively make those those two-week blocks more demanding as we go through a season um, and and then we will unload and then over the rest of the course of the week then um, we will or the, the football coach will focus on more tactical ideas to prepare for the game. Um, but but basically saying we need to address this physical fitness profile one day a week, and then we're going to work on tactics the rest. And we feel like um, that's fairly simple, and we can uh, we we will avoid overtraining and avoid injuries by you know using this this method. Um, I think that you know the the next one is um, tactical periodization, which you know you now have your your Mourinho's um, and some of the you know the coaches from Spain and, the, and Portugal. Mourinho was the first one I think that came over to Chelsea. Um, and again, now with that one, it's the center point is, is is the tactics of the team, and the center point is how do we want our players to play. And there's a physical element to it, and there's a tactical element to it. And and somehow, if we're able to make everything very tactically driven and very position driven, that um, alongside of that we will be training each individual and each position fairly specific to the demands of that position. Um, and that athlete will get the number of accelerations or decelerations they need, the amount of high speed running they may need. And we will address, um, maybe not as the primary goal, but as a secondary tertiary goal, we will, we will be addressing the physical needs of, of, uh, of each player in the team. Um, and obviously you've seen, um, Mourinho and I think Refrias has uh, his you know, head of fitness and you know who does all the methodology for this. Is we will change the size of the field and change the demands of, of the exercises to to load, I guess, in, in a physical way properly. However, we're always kind of answering the tactical goals as well. So I think it's kind of the the merger of a tactical and physical every day of the week, and they use very different pitch sizes every day of the week um, to address different tactical goals, but alongside physically, they're actually loading the athletes in a very different way every day of the week. Um, then I think it also, like, I think it's it's good to, to, to think about a, a fourth way that I think is totally separate, which is more of your, you know, your traditional um, strength coach slash fitness coach. Um, and it's some of what you'd learn, you know, through the Exos methodology of, of, um, a fitness coach will use the first 20 to 25 minutes of training um, every week, or sorry, every day. You will address a different athletic quality every day, whether it be linear speed or change of direction or plyometrics. Um, and then afterwards, you'll pass the team off to a coach, and the coach will then address the tactical needs of that day. And your first 20 to 25 minutes may impact or help some of what's going to happen in the rest of the session, but it may not. But you know, as a you know physical performance coach, you're ticking a box of an athletic quality on a particular day, and if and if you can hit all of your different athletic qualities over the week, then um, you know then then I think you've prepared your athlete physically for for the demands they'll meet. So so I think you know if I were to look at most practitioners that specialize in you know physical performance and football, I think they would they would fall somewhere in one of those four buckets i don't know if that if that makes sense to you mm -hmm. no absolutely so in theory the the tactical periodization model would pretty much requires no top-up because what's as in top-up work post training because what yeah. they've given is yeah. specific to that 4v4 or 5v5 is that is that right correct okay. yeah. yeah 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 and i think um i mean i think the really interesting thing for me um having kind of delved into all this for the last 10 years or so, is I feel like of those first three that I looked at, like 
they end up kind of arriving in in the same space. I mean, I have definitely found this. I mean, I've definitely found as we've kind of used this evidence-based approach and looked at, you know, GPS data and heart rate and try to quantify an internal load and external load, we arrive at a lot of the same conclusions that Fairhine arrives at and and uh, tactical periodization arrives at. And that is, um, okay, there's a certain threshold of uh, we must create exercises for our athletes on the pitch on a weekly basis that address linear speed. Okay, what exercises within within the way we like to play address that? Um, and then at the same token, there's certain there's certain athletes, let, let's say a, a holding midfielder, that may have a lot of accelerations and decelerations as part of their their playing profile. They may not tolerate a ton of high speed running. So so having an exercise that's more position specific for them helps top them off on what they need because a let's say a a ball winning holding midfielder that's making a ton of ten to fifteen meter runs to close the ball down he may not need or he may not respond well to a topping off of 40-meter accelerations at the end of training. That may not be what is, is you know, uh, best for him physiologically or what, him, what makes him feel the best. You know, and I think my experience tells me that um, most athletes, you know, let's say uh, you know, an athlete comes in the week and they're a little bit lethargic and they're a little bit beat up, giving them little doses of what they do during the game makes them feel better. Um, and, 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 and if you look at, again, like a tactical periodization model, that is what they're training. You may, you may through a tactical periodization, you may have want to unload an athlete, but it's going to be in the same part of the field he is in a game. And, and he will be making the same types of runs over the same sort of distance you may modify the intensity a little bit, but it's about training game idea um, and a lot of the physical demands. Or let's say it'll be a very similar profile of physical demands um, that he'll get in the game. And I think, again, like as an example, look at a central defender. The central defender is not going to make a ton of short, hard, five-meter, ten-meter change of directions. Um, he may he, – he's he, – Spends more time walking than most other positions, and then there may be a ball over the top, and he has to make a forty a forty meter sprint uh, to win a ball. Um, so, so his profile is, is a walk, a jog, a little bit of contact with the ball, and then boom, a ball in behind, and and he you know he's got to make a forty yard sprint. Those they tend to also be strength power athletes. So you go into the gym, and that you know from a neuromuscular standpoint, he may be wired where he really does well with some heavy lifting as well, based on him being the strength power athlete. Um, so versus a holding midfielder that makes a lot of short, hard change of directions, five and 10 meter change of directions, um, really smaller possession games um, where he's in the center of this field, he may respond really well to that and feel really well um, doing that versus doing a series of, uh, of 40 meter accelerations, which he's not going to make in the game, which will make him sore which will not then, you know, kind of make him feel optimally prepared for the next match. Am I right in thinking that Mourinho doesn't use GPS? Correct. I mean, mm -hmm. but uh, what I've known of him, or, you know, the, the people I've known that have interacted with him over, you know, not not in the last 12 months, but prior to the last 12 months, he, he feels like, he feels like, and the people I know that have spoken to him, that the... the with his methodology, GPS would only muddy the waters of his right. methodology. Mm -hmm. I think it, I think that the term he used to someone was, uh, "If I used GPS, it would just be a distraction to me." Right. Because I know, I know my game model. You know, it, and it's basically like you you have your game model and you have your principles of play. It's kind of large, large group um, tactics. Then you have these sub principles that may be, you know, a line, a back line, a midfield line, and a forward line. And then you have your sub sub principles, which are how the individuals uh, interact within within that line. So, so um, <clears throat> as you as you go down from you know, your your principles would be your you know big nine v nine to eleven v eleven. Your sub principles may be in a six v six type exercise, and your you know and your sub sub principles may be your one v ones, two v twos, and three v threes. Um, 
And again, you're, you're training then over, you know, this kind of continuum of field sizes over the course of the week. So we're just going to take a very short break in the chat with Dave Tenney. Um, in the second half, it will start with a, a random rant from me, don't know where that came from, uh, just regarding SNC and football. And then we get on to more sensible subjects from Dave, uh, talking about how they integrate technology in the program at the Sounders and the influence of big business, which is a, a, a thing that is obviously prominent in Seattle with the likes of Microsoft and, and Boeing being based there. So how the Sounders tap into, uh, tap into big business, uh, especially on the data side of things. So just before we get into part two, just want to thank Vald Performance, uh, makers of Nordboard, for their ever-supportive uh, sponsorship of the podcast today. So if you are interested in getting to know anything more about the Nordboard, you can visit valdperformance.com. That's V-A-L-D performance.com. And also Coach Me Plus for sponsoring the episode and providing their Sports Science Minute at the start of the episode. So thanks to them two uh, guys for, for sponsoring. I um, hope you enjoy part two, uh, which I'm sure you will, uh, and I'll speak to you soon. And one thing that I, I mentioned in the in the, the first email that I sent you was my, I kind of went on a bit of a rant because I was kind of frustrated about certain people um, kind of hammering the, the football, soccer um, kind of community, and especially from people who, who I don't think um, I've ever worked in it, yeah. And it was it was just frustrating that it was a uh, like the, the compliance isn't there. That everyone's collecting lots of data but doing nothing with it. And I, I was really frustrating that. I, and you, I think you chimed in on a on a couple of um, occasions. And I just kind of wanted someone to kind of go. No, actually, because we do this, this, and this. I know that social media is not always just for <laughs> for doing that. Um, but I kind of just wanted um, someone to kind of give give me some faith. And obviously yeah, the, yeah. the people are out there that are doing good things. And just because people aren't shouting about it, that doesn't actually mean that people aren't doing good stuff. It was really, and it just really frustrated me, but that was just, that's by the by. I don't know why I'm going off on that rant again, but... Um, <laughs> But uh, just just going back to the the kind of data side of things and the the training report is it and and you've been kind of one um, on on social media via uh, chat as well with regards to the the tech that you guys are using, especially with the the kind of Nord board and obviously being affiliated to Catapult and that kind of thing. Um, is how are you um, kind of integrating all this data um, to firstly create that training report to make it usable and and um, kind of visually nice for the physio as well as the GM. Is there is there certain systems that you're using to pull all that together? Um, I mean, the strength of us having Ravi on our staff is we keep a lot of our data kind of in house and manage it through a SQL server, um, import everything into there. Um, and and I just I just getting back to the to the te- technology side, especially in the weight room, because you know, now we're using uh, KBox as well. I mean. I think it is important to recognize that um, using devices like Nordboard, like uh, KBox, I, mean, I think are, are really fantastic tools. Um, I think we use, we pair them along with our traditional strength training. Uh, what I can say is I think when it comes to hamstring issues and, and you know, I think we've seen, I'm not on it right now, but a, a very good, uh, improvement and decrease in hamstring injuries this year and part of it is i think similar to when we started using OptiJump with uh some of the quality of our plyos or some of the drop jumps I and mean, i think providing feedback using this technology to provide feedback to the athletes all of a sudden raises the quality of the of the work they're doing um so one of the issues I know you're talking about was Nordic, you know, kind of the Nordic lowers, Nordic curls, and and are they valuable? Or are they not valuable? And and that's kind of all in a vacuum unless you really understand the the quality of the Nordic curls as well. Um, and the one thing I think it's it's it is a challenge to utilize the Nord board in season because when guys are not using it often enough, um, it does make them. It can make them quite sore, mm-hmm. and uh, 
uh, I, I think maybe Darcy alluded to this in his uh, his uh, podcast with you is that football athletes don't really like to be sore, really ever if they can help it, um, <laughs> in season. So uh, so it is a challenge. But again, if you could just have them do even one or two reps on the Nord board um, and give them that visual feedback, um, and they know they know what their maxim is, they know where they're at. Uh, it's all of a sudden the quality of the Nordic, our Nordic curls and all of our hamstring work has increased tremendously from this year compared to last year. Um, similar to last year, we started using the OptiJump to look at some of our um, depth jump type uh, activities and some of our plyos. All of a sudden, the athlete is kind of competing against themselves, competing against the other people in the room, uh, and the quality of the work increases. So, so are we getting good data from it? Can we build some kind of injury risk models? Yes, we can definitely do that. But I think even the more practical side is we can use a technology like KBox or like a Nordboard to really to really provide a sense of really good feedback to the athletes that that has really increased the quality of the work that we're doing in the gym. Mm-hmm. So were Nordics part of your uh, program before the Nordboard came along? They were. They were, yeah. But I, but I really think, though, I mean, if you ask anyone across the world and, and really once you get in season, you're four, five, six months into a season and uh, you've got a strength session and guys feel beat up and you ask them to do uh, Nordic lower without being able to really quantify or get guys to kind of hold as long as they can, the quality we found anyways, the quality of, of the the reps can decrease very quickly. Um and I think last year, athletes did them at times. But if we're really honest, I mean, I think a lot of a lot of uh, athletes in football are scared to death to do Nordic lowers in season because if you do them appropriately, it may make them sore. Uh, and uh, and I think what you know, looking back, we we got our Nord board uh, about a week before our season started. Um, so I think the Nord board can be very very effective. Uh, especially for our off-season work, um, when when athletes are less worried about being sore for a few days, um, but uh, yeah, I mean we we have used them, and I think and, and maybe again the second year in focusing on them, uh, they're more familiar to the athletes um, and they're less uh, hesitant to uh, to do them in season. Mm-hmm. So just the, the, just just the, the the basics of the feedback has been the the kind of crux of why the Nord body is going to be yeah. useful to you. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's a bigger discussion. I mean, sometimes people ask me kind of what, 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 what's my role. Right. And, and I think this, this is an interesting discussion. Like what's, what's my role. And I always kind of make this joke of like, okay, everyone wants to use analytics and really this, this injury risk profile and really tell when, when an athlete's going to be hurt, right. Or, or at least predict likelihood of injury. And, and sometimes I say, you know, I, maybe I said this last week, last year, the sports science weekend. Um, I, I don't, I don't think that. I don't think that's my role. I think the performance manager role. You can have a huge bang for your buck if you, if you embrace the role that you are. You're kind of the pilot of this oil tanker, and you just have to get in the harbor. And you can't like, lo- these little subtle changes over long periods of time gets gets it in the harbor. Um, having good compliance and keeping guys have good quality work in the first two, three months of the season means that six months in, they can still do it. Um, suddenly increasing or decreasing training load week to week is meaningful. Um, we all know that sudden, sudden drops, you know, sudden drops or sudden additions to training load um, are, are fairly dangerous. So, so how are you suddenly noticing how guys are changing? And in and you can see again that the where, where do guys go off the tracks during a season? They got off the tracks because well they're 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 beat up in season. They want to do a little bit less this week, and then they want to do a little bit less next week. They want to do a little bit less the week after, and and uh, you know so we've been able to kind of implement a lot of you know Tim Gabbett's work this season with some of the training stress balance and chronic training load stuff. And so we get a really good sense like okay this we're not going to let this guy go off the track six months in the season because we all know a big a big issue in this and it's not just physical fatigue it's mental fatigue as well where guys might get tired of just training hard six seven months in the season um and and if you continue to get them that stimulus then they stay healthy um 
So I think it's that that what is happening, really monitoring what is happening long term and making sure we're just steering the group that all of a sudden the coaching staff doesn't decide to do all these new crazy exercises that they didn't do in the first half of the year that now the players have to adapt to. That, okay, you, you can change things, but everything is very subtle. Uh, um, and I think, I think managing that whole process, um, how you're loading the athletes, what exercises you're doing, that you're staying compliant in, in the weight room, you, you end up guiding the group into this kind of healthy state. Um, and, and I think that's, that's our role versus what really happens in a lot of clubs throughout the world where you have this reactive nature. I mean, if you look at, I mean, Liverpool was a good example of what happens. You, you change the manager and the manager wants to bring in a full pressing style and then the team trains totally differently. And, and for three months, the team can't stay healthy because they've radically changed the way they train and the players are not adapted to it. Um, and, uh, and I think that's, that's something I think we have to think about. And, and again, uh, whether it's Nordboard or, or K-Box or whatever, it's being able to objectively look at what are guys doing this month versus five, six months ago and just making sure that there's no major drop in the stimulus we're giving them as one of the most important tools are the important factors in using these technologies mm-hmm. so is, is kit man labs another addition to the to the tech yeah tech okay. yeah yeah so we've used kit man labs um the uh um, connect camera some like the capture um software to look at um uh biomechanical changes mm-hmm. um i mean this this year we're very much in the kind of data collection mode and i think what we found i mean the interesting thing we found the most from it is um uh Having athletes, especially within our sport, that can have groin issues, um, looking at um, them being able to assess themselves very easily on um, hip internal rotation. Um, so, a lot of your groin, your groin athletes, and and they'll see limited or or large asymmetries in hip internal rotation. And again, um, going back to the to the uh, therapist side, and I thought your talk. I mean, it, Everyone that listens to this podcast should have listened to the the talk with Dan Paft um, a couple of months ago because I thought it was just fantastic. Again, and I think a lot of the same things I'm trying to address here is, is managing the whole process. And and uh, we've added onto our staff here um, Aki Tajima is our our manual therapist, and he's uh, he's fantastic in a sense of of uh, uses some of the PRI um, techniques very well. Um, I mean, FMS, I mean, you're, again, working along your mobility stability continuum, but but looking at as guys go through the season, are they missing mobility or stability somewhere? Can you achieve it with some sort of manual therapy there? And then can you load them directly after? And it's such a powerful tool. And Kidman Labs is, is one where we've seen you can look at some hip internal rotation measures and uh, as they're going through some of their correctives and actually seeing is that corrective actually working or is it not working? Um, and then once once you can you can kind of even out any hip internal rotation asymmetry, then you can start loading a guy very quickly. So um, it's helped us significantly reduce um, any groin pain issues that we have in a, you know, within our group. So. Okay. But I also think having having that, as Dan Paff said in the podcast, having a a high quality manual therapist there that can work with the head strength coach on a daily basis is such a key integral part of a of a physical performance staff mm-hmm. so is that, an, is that a new addition um or is that has that always been there it's just, it's a new guy? he was a new addition i mean he's a new guy that came with a very different skill set that i think has just really made a huge impact on our on our organization um because uh because he's been able to very very clearly bridge a gap between the medical staff and the strength conditioning staff in a really positive way. Because, um, you know, you do have, especially with an MLS, I mean, the nature of MLS is we have older athletes. Um, we have guys that, for whatever reason, probably because they can they can make more money in, in MLS than they can in Europe. So you have some older players coming over that do have a lot of wear and tear. And um, I thought Dan's point in the podcast, which I thought was fascinating, is that there is a there is typically a lot of negative connotations around an athlete that needs manual work. Um, and we do have this, you know, and, and I promote it as well, this kind of anti-fragile 
robust, resilient athletes, but I think we have to be really honest with ourselves and say, well, you just might get a 32 to 34 year old whose body is beat up that, that you have to have um, a mechanism within your club to keep that guy healthy. And you have to have high quality people that can, that can uh, deal with the dysfunction that athlete might bring, but then also be able to load him quickly after you deal with that dysfunction. So, just writing a few notes. Sorry, mate. Um, Sorry. So, just one thing that I, that's been brought up um, quite a lot, and it's pretty pertinent because it's um, it's something that's been going on this last week. I think is the the link with with big business, um, and it's a couple of guys. Certainly, one guy from the from the UK uh, came over to your your part of the world last week for a, for a conference. And I mean, it's difficult because I don't want to lead you in a path that you don't really want to talk about certain things that you're doing. Um, but if anyone doesn't know, obviously Seattle's um, got uh, big, big business um, on the doorstep with Microsoft and, and Boeing and things like that. Am <clears throat> I right in thinking that Ravi's uh, background was in that Yeah, he, in was that a, world? he worked with Microsoft before. Okay. He worked on the Bing project with Microsoft. And, yeah, okay. I mean, obviously we wear Xbox on our shirt because Microsoft is our biggest sponsor. Uh, yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think clearly you see, you see, well, this whole movement around big data. And I think that there are companies, technology companies that are trying to uh, jump on the bandwagon and create some, some sports specific applications or, or kind of help us around, around managing our data better. And, and, you know, Microsoft has had a few initiatives that they've started um and I, they're, they're not the only company uh i think all those companies have a lot of smart people within them obviously but i'm not sure whether it's all about i think asking the right questions and i think of course you know companies like Microsoft are bringing people in to kind of learn what the right questions might be because those questions are not really intuitive to a really smart person who works for Microsoft. Um, so I, I can't say, I can't say that those, that they have made a huge, you know, those groups have made a huge impact on what teams are doing with their data. Um, but I think the potential is there. Um, and I think it's, going to change i just don't you know as i said in the in the pre you know kind of the pre-program and i think that ultimately everything is driven around what are your coaches doing or the athletes on a daily basis whether it's on the field or in the weight room and until the coaches really know how to deal with the data better um having people work on kind of big data solutions uh, i'm not really sure if that's going to be the answer um i think again you're better off focusing your energies in the ground level and making sure that the team is training in a kind of smart optimized way and i'm not sure you or we need to need to prioritize you know all, all the the big data movement just yet mm -hmm. do, you, do you see a, a move from these kind of companies like some microsoft really trying to um, really move into the, the sports market, not just with data, but with hardware as well? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're, we're clearly working this kind of disruptive technology environment where um, you've got wearables and you've got some inertial movement type stuff that's getting smaller, that's going to collect a lot of data. You're having... Um, uh, you know, what's it called, little wearable stickers on the skin that's going to collect a ton of data, um, what you do with all that data. And I think that that there is money there because I think at a consumer level, there's a lot that's that's going to happen um, in terms of wearable technology. I'm just not sure when it comes over to the team side, we're really sure where that's where that's going to go. Um, we had, a, it's funny, we had a GeekWire um which is a local um, tech company magazine um, website, had a big sports analytics thing here um, about a month ago, a big conference with uh, uh, three 
governors from the NBA who had a discussion um, around that. And, um, and one of the things was, I think, is just we're just there's their opinion was there's still nothing there yet that is driving an athlete to change what he does in the NBA. Um, so so I think we're still a little bit of ways away. But uh, uh, there is going to be a market, but I think it's going to be more in the consumer level for right now. Right, okay. Interesting. Well, I'm like every week I say, it, but I'm just conscious of taking up too much of your time. So um, where can people keep up to date with what you've got going on? Because you're, like I say, you're pretty active on, on Twitter. Um, where can people find you? Um, just uh, Twitter is the best. Is at Dave Tenney mm-hmm. on Twitter. Okay. It's probably the best. I try not to be. I've, I've definitely not been as active uh, the last few months, but uh um, you know, obviously we have our sports science weekend that will be promoted up there in June yeah. every year, um, which has been a great, I mean, the quality of the people that come out, um, like yourself has been uh, tremendous and seems to improve every year. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it, we've got a great group of people uh, in the community uh, that kind of do interact on social mediums like Twitter, um, about a lot of these topics you've talked about and, and um, how many of these have we we've discussed on Twitter before you come on a podcast and um, and discussed it so yeah and there's, there's quite a few guys from the UK this year wasn't there a few yeah. more yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Good. yeah I mean I think I mean it, it's a perfect time of year because it's in June um, mm-hmm. during the uh, during the break and, uh, and obviously Seattle in June is, is a beautiful place to be not Absolutely. not too hot not too humid and uh, so yeah, we've, we've gotten more of a European based uh, attendees list in the last couple of years long may it continue mm. well um i hope so well, well thanks a lot dave for your for your time again and uh jumping on a part two with me and um hope everything goes all right for the rest of the season and well, thank um, you thank you and we'll catch yeah. up soon yeah thank you too I mean, you've had a lot of great uh presenters on um in the last three four months so um it's an honor to be asked to be on again no pleasure mate good to have you again good to chat thank you thank you all right mate speak soon okay okay thanks bye mate bye thanks for tuning in to episode 101 of the Pacey Performance Podcast firstly massive thanks to you for your continued support uh, going forward with the podcast secondly massive thanks to Dave Tenney for providing an hour of his time and his busy schedule to uh, to come on and, and have a little chat with us uh, for the podcast and last but not least, massive thanks to both Valve Performance and Coach Me Plus for sponsoring the episode today. So we've got some great guests coming up over the next couple of weeks, hopefully as always. Um, if you are enjoying the podcast, a racing and a review on iTunes will be massively appreciated. Um, so again, thank you for tuning in and I will speak to you soon.